You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 368. I'm Tim Robertson. And hey, it's David Cohen. Hello from a wet and windy Manchester. Hey, how you doing over there, over there on the other side of the pond? You doing okay? Everything okay we're, there, we're, buddy? We're doing, we're doing perfectly fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> I enjoyed watching your president walk up the stairs on the plane today with toilet paper stuck to the bottom of his shoe. That was fun. I try not to watch any stuff like that recently. I've just, it's too depressing, everything. I'm just trying to stay positive lately, you know? It's not easy. Yeah. Well, you know, for all his... I, I, I wonder if he rated himself A-plus for walking with toilet paper on his shoe. Could be. It's, it takes skill to do that. <laughs> it's probably the the best walk-up airplane steps with toilet paper that's ever been done, ever. Well, I, I think my record is about 20 feet before it came off. <laughs> yeah, so. he's got, he's, he's got and I never, I never attempted stairs, so I, I got to give him credit for that, David. Yeah, he well, you know, you, know, you know what his secret is, is, is when he's pushing his foot down while he's tweeting on the toilet. That really gets the uh, toilet paper into those crevices of the sole there. So yeah, that's going to yeah. give you some extra adhesion. You know, probably well, probably well, the got, best adhesion ever. Well, I've got cheap shoes. He's got expensive shoes. That's going to make a big difference. So I, yeah. I think that kind of disqualifies him from the record, to be honest. I'm pretty sure that he would not agree with you on that. So let's talk about disagreements because a new story broke and it's kind of a big deal and I don't know what to think about this to be honest with you and it's one of those things that when you first read it you go oh my gosh this this is kind of a big deal and then you start hearing the responses and you start thinking well I don't know I don't know what to think now yep. so there was this big story that broke that this was on Ch Bloomberg Bloomberg broke the story yeah. that there is a hardware hack that China carried out on hardware with custom chips that Apple and Amazon were using and it gave them backdoor access or it called home or something like that. So yeah, the, this is basically was, was server motherboards made by Supermicro uh, and the, the specifics were that there was a chip put onto them that was only the size of a grain of rice which I, I thought the use of that uh, metaphor was slightly racist but there you go. Um, uh, a, a chip put on that basically allowed. I don't think that's racist. I it's a unit. Of, how is because it's a Chinese company and it's rice. Exactly. Yeah. But everybody knows the size of a piece of rice. I mean, no, I think, everyone knows the size of a fingernail as well. That's... No, not necessarily. What? How long is the fingernail we're talking about? Is it a woman's fingernail or a man's? Is it a child or is it? I don't know. I think how big point, is a fingernail? The I don't point, know. The point is the size of the chip is irrelevant to the story, really. Um, they claim that this chip, once once designed into the motherboard, because you can only do this when you're effectively building these things, sure. al allows some remote actor to uh, exfiltrate anything that the server is doing. That is that is the the idea is is that yeah, they they put a, effectively a spying chip on all these servers. These servers were then sold to uh, all sorts of customers in the U.S. Um, Amazon and Apple were particularly called out as being big customers of this. Um, and you know, having to respond to this, um, and uh, yeah, Chinese the, TLDR is Chinese Chinese hacks major uh, American corporate tech companies. 
Yep. The problem is both of those companies have come out in the most re- robust terms possible and said, no, this is not true. Not yep. these, not these are not true. We've been telling Bloomberg when they've asked us for comments on this that it's absolutely not true, that their facts are wrong, that their timelines are wrong, that, that their uh, statements about what we were using servers from Supermicro 4 are wrong. Basically, every single fact in the story is they, completely Apple, wrong. Apple even went so far as to say, and we are not under a gag order. Yeah. There is no, it's, it's all BS is what Apple's saying. And on this, we can be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulation, or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Apple never had any contact with the FBI or any other agency about such an instance. We are not aware of any investigation by the FBI, nor are our contacts in law enforcement. So you can't get more strenuously a denial from a company. This is a publicly traded company. Yeah. This is renowned, renowned for for the most part, being straightforward when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, and and just if you think, oh, okay, but that's a PR response um, and they can use that as a cover and pe- they can always say later, maybe Apple PR did not understand the question or understand what they were talking about. When it came to Amazon's response, their head of cybersecurity personally responded to the yep. story in much the same manner. He went through several things point by point and says, no, this is wrong. No, this hasn't happened. No, we, we don't agree with this. No, we don't understand that. Uh, and actually, in both cases, background was given about how um, Bloomberg had positioned these servers being used within both organizations. And each time they said, no, we never did that. Yeah. We, we never, you know, the timeline is wrong. Um, the claimed use of these servers is wrong. Uh, I think in Apple's case, they said they've only ever had one of these servers, whereas uh, Bloomberg claimed that they were running iCloud on them. Um, that basically it, it could not be refuted more directly. Um, and if... But basically, it comes down to this. Either Bloomberg got this story completely nothing wrong, or Amazon and Apple and anybody else consulted in the story is, is not only lying, but is colluding to lie about the facts of this story. Which, and here's the thing, and then Bloomberg responds to these denials, and they stand behind their story. They said they did hundreds of interviews with government and law enforcement. Which would be fine, except that if you actually read the story, there is not a single source quoted. Correct. There is not a single attributed source. Well, I don't mind anonymous sources. You know, that is a hallmark of journalism. You're going to get people that want to tell you the truth, but for whatever reason, they can't be identified. I get that. But this, hundreds of people can't be identified? Hundreds? Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's hard to find the fact that you could get nobody to say anything at all on the record about this. Even just generally like, well, without confirming any specifics of your story, we know this sort of thing happens. And we have experience of it happening before. And they don't have a quote like that in the story. But would Bloomberg, of all places, a pretty re- reputable source of information and news with very good reporters, would they really put themselves on... Uh, way out like this by standing up for a story? I'm not sure that Bloomberg are perhaps as reputable as they used to be. Um, yeah, but this is a big deal. This is uh, well, this is a big the risk. Two biggest corporations in America flat out saying this is not true, and Bloomberg saying yes, it is. That's yeah. a big deal. However, it is. you want to spin that. That that is a big deal, and I I, I find it hard to believe that a. Uh, a journalistic site like Bloomberg would stand behind a story if they know for a fact it's not true. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I, this is this is the this is the tough one of it. Is a, you know everybody is is pointing the finger at everybody else and saying that that you know the details of this are completely utterly wrong. Well, let me um, ask your gut reaction. Do you believe Bloomberg or do you believe Apple and Amazon? The, the difficulty is, is, is I kind of believe all three of them. Do I believe that um, Chinese actors do this sort of thing, whether they be state-sponsored, whether they be um, effectively bribery of officials for somebody who's interested in doing this? Um, so without, without ascribing the particular motivation to, behind doing this, do I believe that... Um, it's possible that a malicious actor could get either software or hardware into the Chinese production line for some equipment. Um, yes, I believe that could happen. I agree uh, with and, you. and I believe that it probably has happened. I agree with that. Uh, in as fact, well. I think I think we're we're reasonably sure that it has happened in the past. Certainly with software, I think with hardware it's more difficult. But can it be done? Is it feasible that it could be done? Yes, absolutely. Well, there's However, so many suppliers for these yeah. kind of chips that all these different manufacturers in China use. So I don't I don't think that could it happen. I would say that yeah, this thing probably has happened, but that's yeah. not that's not what I'm talking about on this no. case. Do so I, I think we agree yeah. on that? Do I believe the specifics of the story that um, Amazon and Apple in particular has named in the story were hoodwinked into using these computers with these chips in um, on the basis of their refutation of the story? No, I don't believe that. Yep. I, I you know Apple. And Amazon are publicly traded company. This is the sort of thing that uh, could affect stock prices and that sort of stuff. They will be absolutely 100% certain that their statements are correct. Um, and you know, with and and really, the wording is so unambiguous. There is no wriggle room in this. No, they yeah. the the statements that both made. Um, <laughs> it's a flat out denial. It's a flat yeah. out. This is not true. And, and, and that it, it is, is yeah. pretty powerful. It's not only a no, it, these are both long statements. Yeah. yeah. Um, both of them have made long statements. So it's not just like a, you know, no, we have no knowledge of this or no, we do not believe this ever happened. They, right. they have gone to the trouble of being specific yep. about, about um, they're denying any knowledge of this, denying that this happened, um, denying the details of the story as presented. And also and even denying... going so far as to call out particular things in the story that yeah. is not true, uh, and and also going as far as saying, you know, and were we ever to have have found this sort of thing going on, we would have been open and transparent about it, and we certainly would not have hushed it up. And I, well, I agree with that when it comes to Apple. I don't yeah. think I believe that with Amazon. Uh, Amazon continuously does very shady things. Uh, including allowing, as we talked about, ad nauseum, uh, counterfeit products and stuff like that for yeah. many, many years. They, it's well-known fact at this point that Amazon not only um, condones it, but seems to be encouraging it. So, you know, if, if it was just Amazon responding and Apple didn't say anything, I have to be honest, I would probably side with Bloomberg. I really would. Uh, but that's not the case here. I agree with you. I think that there's something to the story. I just think that it it may be the wrong players or whoever, however they conducted this this whole investigation was flawed from the very beginning. Well, the problem with anonymous sources is you can't vet them to say how credible they might be. 
Well, um, and it's person. The, the reader cannot, but that doesn't no. mean that the publication doesn't. Yeah, you, you got to believe that they would have vetted these people thoroughly before they accuse this with the two biggest corporations in America. The problem is, is that I can see somebody with knowledge of this going on speaking to a blue big reporter and giving them the basic details but then kind of elaborating a little bit and it could be that the basics are right but the elaboration is where it's all gone wrong and this guy's you know much in the same way as as we find in you know product leaks and stuff like that a lot of stuff that comes out of the Chinese supply chain uh, because let's face it this is a, this has come out of the Chinese supply chain store uh, this story so um we often find in terms of product leaks of, of product announcements and things that the core uh, fact of the leak is correct but then what's what happens about what it gets extrapolated from that in terms of what the product leak um, refers to in terms of what products it's going to go into or what the functions might be or what the name might be or anything. But this, or is, this is such a bigger thing than just a product leak story going I, I, wrong. I'm, this just talk, I'm just talking about the pattern generalities, of generalities, I get it. Yeah. But this is, I mean, Bloomberg is saying that they talk to many law enforcement agencies and personnel as well, um, which... That would seem hard to. It's hard to believe. Refute. They, I would hard to believe. Well, without naming anybody, it's very easy to refute. Uh, unfortunately, as I as I said before, I find it hard to believe that if they were talking to law enforcement about this and they said, "Right, we're going to run this story," that they could not get anybody to make any comment on it on the record at all. Right, and that's that's the part that kind of piques my dubious nature if you will I mean, because help. yeah let's face it i mean you can get you can go up to uh, up to capitol hill you can get any senator or congressman who might be privy to information such as this to make a general statement right yeah and you know are you telling me that that this has been going on and yet nobody in the united states government is aware of it and then after amazon and apple refuted it you still can't get someone to go on the record to prove the story yeah. none of their sources at that point will still come forward that's the part that kind of like eh, i don't know if this was true and 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 bloomberg's really fighting back that no this is we stand by our story and here's proof here's one of our sources that decided to come forward yeah or or uh, here's nothing here's, here's a document with names redacted that we got access right. to that actually talks about uh, somebody knowing this is going on and what's going to do about it mm-hmm you know, we haven't seen any evidence like that. Nothing, nothing. Just them coming out, reaffirming that they believe that the story is true. They stand behind it. Yeah. So I've got to agree with you. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say that the story is complete BS, but I don't know. It. It. The time frame doesn't make sense. If for one thing, they said that this happened and Apple knew about it. They discovered it in 2015. But it wasn't in 20, until 2016 that they severed ties and stopped using this hardware. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If Apple would have known a year before, even if it was even if it was November that they found out and it was February that they canceled, you could say 2015, 2016. I'm sorry that that doesn't hold water with me. No, because there's no way that they yeah. wouldn't have immediately pulled. Yeah, of course you would. You'd immediately go out and say, "Let's replace those servers with something else. Have yep. a bonfire. Keep one of them back so they can turn over to the FBI." Yep. Yeah, and uh, and you know we'll we'll disconnect the rest. Uh, and and if that was the case, I don't else. think. And if that was the case, let's say that's true. Would Apple refute the story, knowing that that part is true? No. 
No, because people will know, and so you get right. some. You, somebody would have done that to those servers, and eventually they might come out and uh, and say, "Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember that time I was asked to pull forty servers from Apple's data center, and I said, "What right. are you doing these for? Doing these for? These things look brand new." And I was told, "Don't ask any questions. Just get it done." Right, and so yeah. everybody that was involved in this at Apple at the time, every one of them are still working for Apple, even though we know they have a pretty high turnover rate, especially with yeah. engineers. None of them have got another job. None of them are disgruntled. None of them are going to... Come on. It doesn't make any sense. I yeah. totally agree. I think Bloomberg got this wrong. And I think this is... Uh, I think it's. I think there's still a story here somewhere. I just... I can't fathom, without knowing all the facts, where the the story went wrong. It's it's an odd one, isn't it? To have such a a big story, a hundred percent refuted by the companies like this. Yeah, I can't remember uh, something of this magnitude happening before. No, I, it's just interestingly enough. I'm looking at the most read stories that pop up um, in the sidebar next to this um, refutation here, and the top one is the actual story, the big hack statements from Amazon, Apple. Yeah. But then, story number two, stock slide on Treasury yield worries, tech route, markets wrap. Stock three, treasuries drop on jobs data, stocks fluctuate, markets wrap. Okay, fine, all right, those are the sort of things you see on Bloomberg. But number four is interesting, Asia tech stocks hit 15-month low on US-China tension. And then number five, Amazon warehouse workers lose bonuses, stock awards for raises. Yeah, that's kind of what I was referring to. And if it, if it was just Apple, yeah, or if it was just Amazon, I would have doubts. But, but uh, I, 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 you know, the problem is, is that, is that, all right, maybe this is just conspiracy theorizing here. But um, you have to you, immediately when there's when something like this happens and it appears to be bogus, you, you start thinking, who has something to benefit? Right, uh, you've got an election coming up, and the idea of um, tensions between the U.S. and China is very much a justification for the current administration's agenda towards um, towards trade and that sort of thing. So, having a story like this come suddenly appear a couple of weeks before the election kind of goes, "Oh yeah, see all those all those um, trade barriers that that uh, President Trump's introduced. See what China's up to. See how they're a good thing." You see what I'm going? You see what I mean? This the, the, yep. perhaps, perhaps the whole story could be a plant that's about reinforcing the fact that we don't like China, and uh, our guy in the White House is is standing up for us against China because they're tricky. You know, gotta wonder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, of course, I'm not saying that I I have any confidence that that is the actual truth. I'm just saying it could be the truth, or yeah. it could be a reason. And it wouldn't, you know, in today's environment, it wouldn't be a particular surprise because we all know that facts are a fluid thing and uh, in um, reliance on truth is in short supply in the United States at the moment. So the next story mm -hmm. is a little depressing because well, now we're well, yeah, going yeah, to because, turn on Apple. Because, <laughs> yeah, because that wasn't depressing enough. But let's try some more <laughs> Apple is, has this custom T2 chip in the new iMac Pro and MacBook Pro 2018 models. Ostensibly, now I'll break it down real simple. You get one of these machines, uh, something goes wrong, you want to fix it yourself, or you want to take it to the local guy because there's no Apple store or, or even an authorized Apple store in your area at all. 
couple hours away. That's the case with me. So I'm a pretty tech-savvy person, so I crack my machine open, I replace the part, I put it back together, and it's dead. It doesn't fix it. Why? Because this chip has to phone home using custom Apple software that only Apple and authorized Apple repair centers have access to to turn it back on, if you will, to, to let it work. So you do a repair, and nope, you can't do it. You can't do that repair. Yeah. I I can understand the tone. This, this The article we're referring to is actually an Engadget. Uh, and this affects the iMac Pro and then the latest round of MacBook Pro laptops that use these T2 chips. Now, knowing something about the security architecture of these machines, it doesn't surprise me this happens. And I actually think it's less of a... I, it's, it's annoying and it's unfortunate, but I think it's... Um, and a feature of the system and it's not something that's nefarious in there to try and stop repairs. I think it's an unfortunate side effect of the security architecture that, that Apple has has gone that, that this actually promotes as a benefit for these machines. The T2 chip is basically running, it's talking to the secure enclave which is where all the um, encryption keys for the machine is stored uh, and as part of the security of that, that chain yeah, if you make a major change to the system, you need to re-verify all that stuff to actually prove that the change is authorized and is not a way, and not a, a way of trying to um, trying to get around the system. So, for instance, if you uh, encrypt your hard drive in a iMac Pro, and you then take that drive out and put it in a different machine, not only would you have to have the security keys from the secure enclave transferred over as well to be, to be able to unencrypt that drive but you would have to have the chip itself recognized but you'd have to basically tell it you can see this drive has been moved from one machine to another and here we are telling you that that is a legitimate repair purpose and that is not an attempt to try and um, bypass the system so unfortunately that is why that is where these problems come from and we've had this before no, we've had not. It, well, it, it, that that is the it, this that is the the cause of the issue. Well, yeah. no, it's not. Let me tell you why. I worked for Mac Specialist when I started TechFan back in 2010. Yeah. It was right when I took that job. I have a couple of years of experience of working with Apple. I know how they feel about unauthorized repair, i.e., uh, you getting your machine repaired when Apple doesn't get a cut of the replacement parts. And Apple has been fighting this for a very long time. They are not believers of a right to repair. I don't care what their PR machine says. I've seen it firsthand and I've heard the Apple Care people talk in person, face to face, how they feel about this, how they think that uh, users should not have the ability to repair their own machines uh, without using Apple authorized uh, equipment parts in other words Apple wants their cut if something goes wrong with your machine Apple should be paid on some level to get it repaired um, I know that sounds harsh but I've heard the Apple care professionals within Apple say exactly that um, we were prohibited from using anything even on very old machines anything other than an Apple branded stick of RAM or a hard drive, even though their stick of RAM and their hard drive was four times the cost. Um, and if we got caught doing it, huge penalties. So 
Why would they do that? Because they want their cut. They didn't care about the user's budget. They didn't care if this was a six-year-old machine that wasn't under any kind of a warranty. Didn't matter. You're going to use our parts or you're going to be in trouble because we want to get paid. Um, so they can wrap this up like this is security, and I'm sure that is a big part of it at this point, especially with what's going on in the world. But that's not where it started. This is an effect of a long-held policy and belief within Apple that you should not be allowed to repair your machine yourself without Apple getting their cut. That's what it's about. Apple's been like that for a very long time. They were like that before I got to Mac Specialist, and they sure as hell was that way when I left Mac Specialist. In fact, they were really starting to crack down even harder. Um, from a business perspective, when I was at Mac Specialist, that meant I had to buy a hard drive from Apple and I had a 5% markup fee to put in this computer, whereas I can get the same hard drive without the Apple sticker on it through a vendor like, I don't know, uh, Ingram Micro. Mm -hmm. And I could have a 50% markup and it would still be cheaper by half for the customer. Couldn't do it. Yep. We did instead of hell with Apple because we were making no money. Apple was squeezing us so tight trying to put us out of business, that's the only way we could stay afloat. And that's not my opinion, that's fact. So I'm, I'm not, they, yeah, they, I'm, are, they are very anti-right um, to repair. They're I'm not, massively yeah. anti-right I'm, to repair. I'm not, I'm not disputing that at all. I you know, completely buy into your experiences, and uh, I think most companies, given an opportunity, if they could effectively DRM repairs, then they would do. If Absolutely, they they get away with it, and that's, However, that's why the the right to repairs is a bigger subject than most listeners right now probably even give it credit for. You should absolutely have the right to repair your property. Yeah. Tesla's fighting the same thing right now because Tesla doesn't give you the ability or uh, the privilege of repairing your own Tesla. You well, have well, to go. Well, Tesla. Yeah, this, let's face it. This has been a, a long-standing problem for uh, any company that makes big, complex products. And sure. it's not not just electronics. I mean, the, in the car industry, for many, many years, they were basically threatened to invalidate your warranty if you had a third-party repair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's only recently that that legislation has come in that basically prevents them from doing that. Um, under right to repair laws. Um, I think the question here is is whether, obviously the, the pitch in this story is effectively that Apple has only done this with the T2 chip as effectively repair DRM. Um, and that is, the, that is the, the take on it that I dispute. I've, as I say, I think, I think it's probably a side effect that based on your experience, Apple finds welcome. But I, I genuinely think the, the system's architecture of using these chips in this way is not designed, has not, has not been uh, created and implemented purely to ensure that rep repairs can't be done without Apple authorization. I think it's a side effect of something that actually does give a, give a lot of benefit to the user. Oh, I'm not disputing that. I, yeah. I think that there is benefits, no question. Yeah. The problem but, is, it's just just in the same way that when you. But use, that's the side effect, by the way. Yeah, that's it, not the main purpose. That's yeah. the side effect. But the problem, the problem is, is that the um, just well, just like when you have, I remember a few years ago there was a big stink because um, HDMI cables started using this HDCP protocol yep. as part of the standard that basically means all the all the signals going over HDMI 
cables were encrypted, and that meant if you didn't have properly compliant hardware, you would uh, you would lose a signal at some point along the chain, um, and that meant you, your set-top boxes were more expensive, uh, and perhaps your cheap TV might not work. And certainly, you know, if you had the wrong type of cable, you wouldn't be able to get an image. And again, everybody said, oh, this is just price gouging and that sort of thing. Um, that, you know, and this is a, a horrible side effect of the fact that they want to DRM everything up the wazoo. And And the problem is, both of those statements are probably partly true, but neither of them is wholly true. And it's the case here as well. Does Apple like the fact that um, they're much more likely to get repair work on these machines because of the T2 chip? Absolutely. But did they put the T2 chip in there only to realise that benefit? Absolutely not, in my opinion. You know, and, 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 and people do want secure devices. We all love the fact that um, you can pick up your iPhone and you can lock it uh, and not even the FBI can get into it. Everybody appreciates that fact. Um, but the, the, the problem with that is that is that technically to achieve that level of security does mean that you have to basically have the system authorize everything. And one of the easiest ways to try and get around these systems is start swapping hardware parts and hope the system doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. So, so that is a, that is a, a, a that is a genuine issue, and it's a trade-off, and it's a it's a trade-off that Apple is capitalising on, and I think Apple thinks it's working in their favour because they know their customers like secure products. Well, it's working uh, in their favour because we have very poor, at least in the United States, consumer protection laws. Well, that's that's a separate issue, but it it, it does affect. Well, us. the they, reality they take advantage yeah. of that issue. The reality of this is that um, today you may not be able to get around these these problems. I guarantee you in three, four years' time you will do. And it's going to be more of an issue in three or four years' time. These products currently with these C2 chips are all under Apple warranty. So unless you're doing accident repair, um, then you're not going to be affected by this right now because any time you need service, Apple will be doing it for you. It's not just repair, though. It's upgrades. What if I want a bigger SSD in my Mac Pro or iMac Pro? Well, there's a, yeah, there's, again, there's more complexity to that, though. The way the uh, SSD works in the Mac Pro, you can't just put a new one in. It, exactly. It's, it's, no, no, but that, again, that's that's done for performance reasons. That's not done mm. for, um, that's not done for reasons of, of making sure that Apple gets their cut if you want a bigger one. The whole system is not an off-the-shelf architecture. And they've pretty much made it so nobody can... But again, they've not done that because they're saying, oh, we want to get our cut of of SSD sales. They've done that because they want to make the system faster. And people buying the iMac Pro want the absolute fastest system possible. Let's face it, this thing costs $5,000. I mean, I'm sure sure that somebody in Apple at some point said, look, we're going to sell this system starting at five grand. Yeah, if we make these architectural changes to give the absolute best performance, we are preventing people from upgrading their own SSDs. I'm sure, very sure the argument around the table would have gone, well, yeah, but these are five to ten grand professional systems. Yeah, these guys aren't going to want to cheap out by opening up the back of their own machine and putting a uh, their own SSD in. They're going to buy the right the right system at the start of their contract. Yeah, but that's not really true because remember, I also came from an IT background when we were in a design studio and actually the opposite the professional level machines are traditionally bought because you can upgrade them over time so when you invest five thousand dollars and you have to upgrade them in three thousand three years or five years you don't have to invest another five thousand dollars you can invest a thousand dollars 
to upgrade these machines to keep them going. Yep. I, I get what you're saying, and, and the proof of this particular, on in terms of the upgrade for Pro's argument, will come when the new Mac Pro comes out, because that's meant to be an upgradable architecture, and that's the system that's designed to allow you to do these things. So if the T2 chips in there prevent you from doing certain things, then I think you will have a, an, an even stronger argument to say, look, Apple is, is actually trying to make sure they get their bit here. Well, I think more appropriately anyways, will they allow you to upgrade those upgradable machines using non-Apple hardware? Yeah. That's where the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah, they And I got do. a feeling I know exactly the way that's going to go, unfortunately. Yeah, you, you know, and... If, if if it ends up being like a Keurig coffee maker, where effectively you've got to have DRM approved parts before they'll work in the machine, uh, I don't think Pro is going to take to that at all. Well, well time will tell, right? Yeah. Um, it is October, David. Halloween is uh, less than 30 days away. It's what today is, as we record, this is the 5th. So you got 27 days. You got your costume picked out yet? Uh, <laughs> funnily enough, I do. <laughs> my wife came back from Israel last week and she actually bought stuff for for all of that so I got yeah. uh I took I took Halloween off this year yeah yep and then I'm taking the day before Thanksgiving off so I'll have two days in a row there that's I like that uh the dealership always makes a big deal of Black Friday even though no customers come in on Black Friday everybody has to be here why <laughs> yeah <laughs> we don't get busy um but it is October that means it's now, now, they spell it a little differently, but it's Oktoberfest. It's O-W-C-toberfest. Yes. Uh, our sponsor, obviously, and they've got some really good deals going on. I'm going to put a link into Oktoberfest uh, because I can't I can't say it. I have to say Oktoberfest. <laughs> O-W-C-toberfest. Oktoberfest. Oto, yeah. yeah. It's Oktoberfest. I don't care. That's what I'm saying. Um, obviously, we uh, encourage you guys to go and check it out you can get an ipad air with retina display 32 gig for 219 bucks in Man, very good condition that that's is, a good deal that is very reasonable and when you figure that the new ios actually makes that tablet faster yep. you know traditionally you upgrade your old iphone or, or ipad and it gets slower with the new os that was that's just the way it was we we accepted that we weren't happy about it but you know it is what it is well iOS 12 makes it faster. That's a good thing. Um, so I guess it blows my last argument completely out of the water, right? Oh, no, well, wait. I can only well, get yeah. iOS 12 from Apple. Those bastards. Um. Uh, yeah, let's face it. And, and on this same page, there there is mostly upgrades to your computers, including batteries and uh, drives and SSDs yeah. and that sort of thing. And potentially that's all the, the sort of stuff that could be being squeezed out of the market in a few years if this... If this approach uh, becomes more widespread, they have an eight terabyte, uh, three and a half inch NAS, seventy two hundred RPM hard drive for two fifty nine. That's not a bad price at all. Yeah, I hmm. actually I actually bought something from them last week um, on, when we were on their uh, we were on the uh, garage sale page, weren't we? Yeah. I needed yep. a um, one of those bracket, another one of those brackets, so I can put an SSD into the old tower mac pros oh yeah sure and you know what they are the only ones that the only people i've ever found that sell ones that really genuinely 100 percent work in those machines because you can get a doubler yeah uh yeah it's, it's because the, the mac pros had um to be able to take the drives in and out they were like on a caddy 
Yep. And so if you get a regular adapter for an SSD, because they you kind can, of float there. Yeah, if you get a regular uh, SSD adapter that you can get for a regular PC, you can get those off Amazon for five, ten bucks, something like that. You'll find they'll never fit in the Mac Pro because you need to be custom designed for that special sled that Apple had in there. Um, and the um, adapter drive brackets that uh, the OWC sell um, always always do. And you know what? With the price discounts that they've got on at the moment, even having it shipped to the UK was cheaper than trying to find somebody who's selling one here in the UK. It was just mm -hmm. easy just to, just to order it straight from OWC. So they got a product that I've got sitting on my desk and I use it every single day. It's OWC USB 3 uh, dual drive dock. It takes either a two and a half or a three and a half inch drive. So the SSDs are the regular hard drives. And it puts it in like a piece of bread in a toaster and it just kind of sticks up. That's what I use for my media backup, my iMac backup, my photos backup, my music backup. Those are all different backups on my uh, hard drives. And, you know, when it's time to for Carbon Copy Cloner to do its thing, I just pop the hard drive in and it does it right up. And there, it's dual power, so I can... I don't have to have both drive bays powered up at the same time if I don't want to. Um, works great, and you know, I I had the the precursor to this, the newer Tech Voyager dock. They still sell those as well. Those are only like thirty bucks, but it's uh, I don't know. I like the new one. It, it's the and of course the the Voyager dock is one hard drive, not two. Yeah. So obviously you can only have one thing plugged in there at a time. But my whole media server is just a bare hard drive sticking out of this thing. I like it. I like it a lot. It's one of my favorite products. So make sure you guys check out the Oktoberfest. We're going to put a link at techfanpodcast.com as well as mymac.com in the show notes. And, of course, if you're there on the show notes looking, hey, send us some feedback. We'd love to have it. We'd love to read it right here on the show. Uh, let us know what you think about the subject we've covered so far. Um, do you believe Bloomberg? Do you believe Apple and Amazon? Uh, what do you think about the whole can't upgrade your hardware argument let us know the show at techfanpodcast.com david let's get into uh, some fun stuff here we missed it last week our wiki trolling we've got it this week and we're looking at CompuServe. Mm. now did you have any experience because this was kind of a north american thing well i'd heard of CompuServe. um we had different different companies here that that became um kind of the, the big equivalents of CompuServe in the UK. Um, but they were all basically based on the same idea. I mean, this was, this was before the internet really was a thing. Yeah. Um, and to, to be able to use a modem to actually share information with another computer, you needed to go to a central place where everybody was. And that's what CompuServe was. It was a big, effectively a, a big mainframe that yeah. you would, you would with loads of phone lines on it and you would dial in it. And for a princely sum of what was it? $5 an hour or something like that you could use their services and they had loads of different chat rooms and email systems and message boards and software download pages and effectively it was like a mini internet all based around one company and um, this was the first thing that that you'd if you ever got a modem and started trying to get your phone your computer online you would plug the modem into your computer depending on the type of modem you had you would either pick up your telephone handset and stick it into a rubber cup on the on the front of the modem or later on they they, uh, they just became directly pluggable into the phone line um, and you would take the phone line over nobody else could use the phone and you would dial into this company and I hope that they had a local 
um, phone number for you to use rather than doing a long distance call. And then when you're online, you would, you know, well, the, well, the way I used to use use them here is you would, you would, you would upload your messages. You would download some new messages, and you might then go to a a room and see what was what was going on in there. And then you might um, download a few bits of shareware or something like that. And then you get off the phone line, and you were done. So CompuServe started, believe it or not, as part of an insurance company way back in 1969. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, the goal of the, the business, if you will, was twofold. Uh, to provide in-house computer processing support for Golden Life Insurance, and or Golden United Life Insurance, and to develop an independent business in the computer time-sharing industry by running time on its PDP-10 mid-range computers during business hours. It was spun off as a separate company in 75, uh, trading on the NASDAQ under the symbol CMPU. So it started life completely different than where it is today because it's still around today, kind of. And uh, CompuServe kind of really became a thing in the 80s, late 80s. And it was a way, and it was just, it, there was no graphical user interface, but it was more of a dial-in service, if you will. And it had content on there. But it was it was really, really big uh, in the 90s for a while. Of course, CompuServe um, fell to the behemoth, behemoth that was known as AOL. I mean... Yeah. AOL kind of, for those who are too young and, and don't remember, AOL was massive in the 90s. They were just massive. Um, you've got mail. I mean, the the tropes continue to this day because of that company. And they really took over because they did two things really well. Number one, it was a graphical user interface, which CompuServe barely was at that point. Yeah. And everybody was using Macs with, uh, you know, with the GUI, and then Windows 95 was a big deal, a, yeah. a graphical user interface that actually worked, unlike Windows 3 before it. So everybody was used to point and click, and CompuServe was not friendly to point and click. They well, were more yeah, of a, a tech thing. Because CompuServe was running on a mainframe. I mean, it was still running on that the same platform. Mainframe. Time yeah. sharing on a mainframe. The point yep. about a mainframe was a big, expensive computer in its own room. Um, and mainframes were very good at running fast, uh, kind of pre-keyed instructions. So time sharing came about because they recognized that most of the time, uh, and it's still the same with our computers today, to be honest, but we just don't notice it. Most of the time, the computer is sat there waiting for you to, to say to tell it to do something. And yeah. certainly the old systems that didn't do background processing were like that. And so to make best use of the investment, you, you, you know, you put a, f a few hundred thousand dollars into a centralized computer server, is first of all, you had as many terminals as you could around whatever your organization was whether it was a college a university or a or a, a company so that as many people as possible could use the computer at once and basically yep. every time they kind of sent queued up some instructions that hit send the mainframe would process those instructions on its stack and then send the results back out to them so you could make money by effectively encouraging more people to get onto that system because you could charge them for the time they were connected and so that's where CompuServe came from, is saying, well, why don't we open it out to the general customer and let them dial into our mainframe system and uh, we'll set stuff up for them on there. Whereas AOL had the advantage that it was being set up after the internet had been invented. 
So they, yes. AOL became at just a front end to the internet where they added a lot of value and they took a lot of the the techie scariness away from using the internet. The first internet, well, yeah, the fir- not at first though. No, not, well, yeah, not, that's not how, in the mid. Yeah, that yeah, came that came the later end of the because, 90s. because that that was their that was their yeah. kind of AOL their thing. was a walled yeah. garden. Yeah. It was an on, a true online service. It was a glorified BBS system where all the content if you dial into AOL, you don't never leave AOL. It, you know, it was a chat service. It was online forums. It was you could download, you know, uh, programs. You could look at the news. You could do all these cool things. And what really everyone used it for was email. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, you know, when when AOL came out, uh, ninety one was when it got really competitive. AOL charged two ninety five an hour, and CompuServe was at five bucks an hour. I mean, that was a big deal. Um, let's see, it says the number of users grew, peaked at 3 million in 95, which it, you just couldn't compete with AOL's 20 million users. I mean, that's <laughs> the disparity. It's just too big. Um, yeah. In 97, the parent company, CompuServe, decided they wanted to sell it off. And, of course, who bought CompuServe? AOL. Yeah. Um, they continued to, uh, you know, run it for a little while, but they eventually named it uh, CompuServe Classic. Um, it was kind of their, I don't know, they control their own competitor, if you will, but it <laughs> it, it was generic. Uh, CompuServe 2000 was a rebranded AOL client with separate services, and they also had CompuServe Dialer, which is a low-cost dial-up ISP because that was still needed back then. Yeah. Um, most of that stuff... Closed down uh, pretty early. 2011, CompuServe 2000 closed. Um, CompuServe Classic died in 2009. Um, but here's the thing. CompuServe Dialer continues to operate as a web portal. And, of course, when uh, Verizon acquired AOL in 2015, uh, that was part of the deal. So uh, CompuServe became part of uh, Verizon's Oath Incorporated subsidiary. I think that's it's interesting that it kind of still exists, but not really. Yeah. I mean, it's name only, if if anything. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's always been a service that that's changed according to the requirements of its market. Um, but uh, I mean, it's amazing that it still exists as any form of entity, really. Bearing in mind the uh, the internet is is obviously now so huge. So the fact that that um, I mean I mean I was amazed to find that AOL was still knocking around. Really, you just kind of kind of wonder. But but I guess for some people, a lot of these systems have real kind of stickiness because people are comfortable. That it's what they know, and so they'd rather use them as a front end rather than you know go into the the uh, the open west, the wild west of the general internet. Really. Yeah, I was wondering the neat... same thing that, that, that you know keeps for for a certain class of user keeps Google going is the fact that they don't feel comfortable on a computer unless they are presented with the Google search page when they turn it on. Hmm. Here's the uh, funny thing. Here's something that I don't know if a lot of people out there knows. Um, GIF or GIF? I, I, it's always going to be GIF to me. I don't care what. Yeah, it is. I agree. Uh, GIF is the peanut butter here in the U.S. It's it's not the graphic format, but that was actually introduced by CompuServe. You know, wow. you got to remember, people were dialing in with 
literally modems. 56K, 28, 30. 20, These things yeah, were slow. I, the first one I had was 2400 board. Yeah. Um, I started at 14.4. Yeah. The 2400 was the first one I got. Because I remember I found I, the company I was working at. I was like the IT guy there. And I found it in a in a filing cabinet, this 2400 board modem. And so um, I knew we weren't using it because it was in the filing cabinet. So I said, <laughs> right. I said, to, said to my boss, who was the financial director of the company, I said, um, you know, what are we going to do with this? Are we using this for anything? He said, no. He said, said you know, do you want to use it? Do you want to take it home and use it? So I took it home. And so that's the first time I had a modem. Uh, I actually was using... Um, FidoNet, which was yeah, sure. effectively like an open source version of CompuServe. Yep. There was loads and loads of FidoNet bulletin board systems all around. And you could... Well, FidoNet was a BBS. Yeah. Um, but it was decentralized. Exactly. Yeah. Basically, loads of people had small ones and you could log yep. into a local one. Um, and then from there, you could contact other ones because they would talk to each other. So, exactly. Um, that was what I first used. And, and yeah, I remember 2400 board was very very slow and i it I, was even I, for just plain text <laughs> yeah and, and sometimes i would down download utilities and stuff i needed for work um and it would take hours literally hours to download these tiny little files and but the, the good thing is when you went up to a faster modem it was like it was like warp speed if you went from even from 2400 to 9600 then all of a sudden everything got so much quicker uh and then for a long time, I think we all thought 14.4 was where it was going to top out because they said physically it couldn't go any faster. Yeah. But then, then they the found all these compressions and all sorts of neat tricks to try and make it. And then eventually got to 56K, which literally was as fast as you could get dial-up to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a tenth of the speed of the slowest uh, DSL line that you could get uh, the, the, when DSL first came out. And, of course... The advantage of DSL was, first of all, it was always on. You didn't have to dial up. Uh, and secondly, you could use it at the same time as the phone. So uh, unless you, so you didn't need a second line. I, I used to know there were, there were some people who bought ISDN lines. I don't think we had those in the States. Um, they were 128K each, and you could normally get two of them. So you could get two and then bond them as a pair. So you'd effectively have 256 kilobits as a dial-up. And, uh, oh, those guys were fancy. Let's, uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to remember the name of the uh, modems that I used. Wasn't it? I think it was Global Village, wasn't it? Yeah, this Global Village was a big thing. They all used the same standard. It was the Hayes standard. Yes. Yeah, but Global Village was big. Um, what, what, what was the, uh, the yeah, ones I, I had? Just thought, uh, I just saw a picture of the yeah, Global Village uh, And US, US Robotics was the other really big name. In modems. I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to use this uh, photo I just found online. Uh, I had one exactly like this. It, I, it, I don't know. It had that little... Here, let me put it in the chat that we're... I don't know if you ever had a Global Village modem. Um, no, I didn't. I don't, they, went, didn't? they were much bigger in America than they were in the UK. Look, So I, I just sent you a, a picture on wire that we're using for our chat here. And right. I had one exactly like that. Mm -hmm. That was my modem. I I think that was the. I'm gonna say that might have been a 14.4 modem. Right. And uh, it, I don't know. There's something just. It's got that weird ball hump thing towards. It. That's where the little speaker was that you shriek at you, and it plugged in the AD, uh, the ADB port on an Apple machine, and mm -hmm. 
Oh, I don't know. There was something about it. It was just, it seemed futuristic to me. That, um, that was one of the things about modems. They were kind of cool because they often, um, for a start, they all they all had they often had a lot of flashing lights on them. So that kind of looked computer techery cool back in the eighties. And yeah. the other thing as well is as uh, they made that noise that you, you, they yeah. normally yeah they normally played that dial noise to let you know that the connection had gone through. And then once once it was established, then um, then you, you then basically it shut itself off, so you didn't have to listen to the, to the dreadful noise it made. But um, anybody from that era, as soon as you hear that kind of dial-up connection noise, you know exactly what it is. Oh, no question. I mean, it was synonymous with the internet, or for most people, it was probably synonymous with AOL, because yeah. you know that's the sound you would hear dialing into AOL. There was a while that it was called AOL Wait. Remember that? Yeah. And. It's you know I I always kind of wanted CompuServe I think I had it briefly and didn't keep it because at the time I was also on AOL and I was also on eWorld which was Apple's online service, um, but I don't know it 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 it, it seemed even when I was using it it seemed outdated. Well, like I, it was I a yeah thing of the I past. I always remember thinking that it was kind of like the Linux of its day. I I remember that all the technical the techie people. I know pretty much every single member of the UK tech press had accounts on CompuServe. Yes, um, and it exactly. was basically it was like if you were a real Uber nerd, then you use CompuServe, and if you were just kind of you know like a, a Johnny come lately into into computing and online and everything, then you were more likely to use AOL or one of the smaller services like Prodigy. And uh, here in the UK, we had BT. Uh, we had a, a BT service for a long time because obviously it was a um, a, a, back then, BT was a state-owned telecoms company, but but really, what changed what changed um, all of that here in the UK is is was the first dial-up ISP, which was Demon Internet. Who um, and and that was the first time I really got into doing a lot of online stuff um, because you could pay ten pounds a month, and there was and you didn't pay anything more than that, and that was a the fact that there was a monthly charge made a big difference in terms of how likely you were to use it. Um, and the first time I went on there, I mean, it, it was it was really hard because it was just all text that you basically you had to know all these internet protocols and commands yourself to make it do anything. But then within about two three months of me getting Demon Internet, the uh, um, I, I heard about this new thing that they said it well, they, it's called a browser uh, from a company called Mosaic. And if you install that, that makes the internet much easier to use. And wow, once you got Mosaic, that was it. it was no turning back. Uh, and of course, that all the, the rise of the browser was what really was the last hammer in the coffin for uh, companies like CompuServe and AOL. Yep, it absolutely was. It just kind of killed it right off, didn't it? Yep. So we want to thank everyone for listening to this. If you've got some, uh, do you got memories about CompuServe? We'd love to know about it. Um, Maybe we'll uh, we'll revisit uh, I don't know some modems in a future episode. Although we kind of did that right now, but well, we could do I, we, I could re we could review some and recommend yeah. which ones you might want to buy. Yeah, yeah, we'll do a review <laughs> of uh, the latest from Global Village. I, 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 I tell you what, it would be worth looking back on some of that stuff because people nowadays, you have no idea how easy you have it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Getting a, just getting a modem connected to a computer and working, particularly if you were on the PC side, yeah, was hard work. You had to really know what you were doing. You are talking about weird, 
arcane commands that that are non-human um, human understandable and that's quite apart from getting the serial port to work and uh, all of that stuff and you know it was a real a real technical challenge yep yep now you just turn on your phone connect to wi-fi and off you go someone tried to sign into my google account in india so I'm, i just changed I, my password i'm on compuserve.com now and um, oh, could you check that to see if that was good <laughs> all right yeah. we're gonna wrap up this show david uh good talking to you man this is yeah. a fun episode good even though two yeah. of the stories were kind of depressing but it is what it is it's the world we live in and uh we are called tech fan yeah hey you, you, I, I just need to mention to all the listeners that pandora's box thing you talked about last week the uh yeah. arcade thing i bought yeah. one did, has it, have you got it yet? I, it arrived yesterday. I've not had a chance to turn it on yet, but I'm well. I'm I want to so hear your excited. thoughts about it. Yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> now, did you get the four or the five? Uh, the five. I managed to get five. Uh, this one's the five S, which I think is a is a basically it's um, a whole load of people have kind of hacked the five. But this is the double double stick version, so that yeah. Uh, well, that's what I got. Yeah. I've got mine's the four S. Have they uh, did they decide to replace it in the end? Well, they offered to give me ten dollars off if I keep this one. I went to their to their online store and they don't have anything else. So right. I think their thought is, I can't send them what we are supposed to send him. Yeah. Uh, so let's just offer him some money back. Um, I haven't responded to him. I, I probably should do that. What I'm going to say is, make it twenty and you got to do. I was going to say ten dollars is a bit yeah poultry, like, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll come back with twenty. If uh, they say, no, we're not going to do 20, then I'm going to put a dispute in eBay, and then I'll get all my money back, and I get to keep it. <laughs> yep. That's what they don't want to happen. So, <laughs> Yeah. All right, David. I will uh, see you next week. See you then. Bye.